Imagine a magnificent life where you can master anything you want to, where time is not a barrier. Struggles and challenges you face can be overcome. You can create ultimate control and access higher potential that brings joy and fulfillment in your life. To achieve this, we must first empty our mind to be open for new possibilities before we can launch into infinite heights. In the words of Zen master Shinryo Suzuki, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. Join me, the maestro Vincent Chang, as we uncover the secrets to going from zero to infinity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first episode with our first guest. I'm so excited to introduce Gary Thibault, who was at the point in my life where I was at a zero state. And we're going to talk about these zero states today in my health. You know, I literally owe him my life. You know, he saved my life when I was suffering for two years. You know, I went to countless doctors, countless hospitals, did all these types of types of tests and no one was able to help me or even figure out what was wrong with me. But when I went to Gary, you know, with just, just a simple analysis that he did, he'll talk about that. He was able to help me reshape my life, get back to health, get back to living fully and freely and enjoy that. So I want to welcome you, Gary Thibault. We call him the warrior of truth. And so he's going to tell us a lot of truth about our health, our existence and he's been through a lot. You know, he's been through his own zero state. So welcome, Gary. Thank you very much for having me. It's such an honor to have you. And like I said, you know, I owe you so much. Uh, you really taught me and helped me literally save my life and my body. So, well, yeah, I, I think I owe all of that to Almighty God for waking me up at a time in my life when uh, I was at the zero bottom and I learned from something my mother taught me as a little boy that when I was bored to read the Bible. So I decided to reread it from cover to cover. Basically, when I was 38 years old, bleeding a cup of blood a day, and the medical system couldn't give me any answers. And I went back to two things, researching what I learned in the Bible as a kid, reproving it. And basically what my native heritage, my grandmother and my mother and father taught me about gardening and food and, and existence. And even though they didn't follow all of their recommendations themselves, I realized from my own research that that was the way to go. And I put it into practical experience because at, at the beginning of one part of my life in my early foot, you know, late 30s, early 40s, when I was at my worst health conditions, and that I wasn't given any hope by anybody else, I think my faith in the Almighty God and His Son, I recognized that I had to do, they would not help me unless I did for myself as well. So I started to realize my body is a temple, and I have to start treating it like a temple. And one of the examples I would give to people when they come and see me, I say, well, you know, if you start crapping in your bed every night, nobody's going to sleep in that bed with you for very long. <laughs> so why are you putting crap in your body? It, it's just a common sense analogy, right? And so I started investigating what was in foods and why and preservatives and additives and all kinds of chemical poisons. And I realized that if they shut the electricity off, well, I was relying on someone else to feed me. So, you know, going back to the book of Proverbs, which I try to read one chapter of it every day, according to the date, like today was April the 8th, I read the eighth chapter. And I've been doing this for a few years now. And, you know, Solomon teaches you some principle of, of say you bought a piece of land. He says, first you make a garden, then you go about building a house. And, you know, but today in societies, everybody builds a house and there's no space to grow any food. So they are at the mercy of everyone else instead of having some reliance or self-reliance to feed themselves. So 150 years ago, 200 years ago, there was no electricity like there is today. It was very, very 
small amounts with generators or certain things. But it wasn't like today where we have a grid system and all this reliance on other people to babysit you. So, you know, I think about my mother growing up and I have the pictures to prove it in a little cement building on the side of the Trans-Canada Highway in Northern Ontario, which the owner of that property now uses as his woodshed. Well, my grandmother raised five children in there by herself, you know, because her husband was murdered and she raised, you know, five children. My mother was eight years old when her father died. Uh, You know, they went through unbelievable hardships. So I think of my, my hardships as, you know, that's a walk in the in the bar in the park. I know I've died three times in my lifetime. You know, recently in 2020, I went through open heart surgery. And again, that was my own fault. Even with all the knowledge I have, I'm building a teaching center in my farm and to teach people how to do really apply good survival skills and nutrition to themselves. And the thing is, you get so focused that you lose perspective of what's really counting. You have to take care of yourself. Otherwise, you can't help anybody else. And so, you know, you're so overtired from working all day on the way home, you stop and eat a bag of chips or some garbage food to stay awake so you don't drive off the road. And you know that it's not good for you because the next way your day, your gut feels like crap. So this last bout that knocked me down really hard and I had to learn how to walk all over again, everything from scratch. And Every day when I get up and I can feel my feet and they hurt, I say, thank you, God, I can feel the pain. So you see, you have to have that perspective and attitude to change and you have to be willing to change everything, not just one thing, but everything and start over with a perspective that you have to put your creator first, your mindset and goals in perspective with nature and what really should go on and at the same time if you don't respect yourself you're not going to respect anyone else around you so i don't care what you look like i don't care what religion what your sexuality is i don't care if you stand on one finger upside down don't matter to me let's deal with what we need to deal with to help you get better and that's it that's so profound and you know you talked about those zero states, you know, having open heart surgery and, and, and waking up, you know, like in blood. And so a lot of the times you talked about this, making a choice, making a change, but we have to be motivated to. And unfortunately the motivation for change is some of this rock bottom zero state. I have to change or I'm going to die. Now I'm going to start to do something. Can you talk about that in yourself and with others? Well, you know, I think that in our lives, it's like a magnet. The earth is a magnetic field. We have a positive and a negative force making the earth spin in a circle. And if you take a magnet, it's not positive on only on one side. It has to be negative on the other side. There has to be that duality. So if I reflect that into my brain and somebody would say to me, Well, why does God allow what goes on on the earth? Well, if I come to the realization a long time ago, and I don't know why I do understand this, but I think it's very profound that I came to this awareness that we only own one thing in our life is the ability to choose choice. Because we didn't choose what we look like, what nationality, what color we'd be born, anything, what education our parents would give us, what lack of education we wouldn't have. All of our choices are our choices. And I came to the realization that Almighty God had a great plan. And he designed this for us to have us choose right or wrong, up or down, left or right, and for one purpose only, to see our character, what we would do with what we got. And at the same token in life, we could never blame him for not choosing the right way or the wrong way. 
He did not force us. We could never go. We can never go back to him and say, you didn't give me choice. Uh, no, you decided to do this. Even though I advised you not to, and I gave you a rule book, and I give you people in your life of examples all around you, your whole life, you decided this for your own. So what can I say? I'm not guilty of making your choices. You are. So you have to hone up the responsibility. And a lot of people will hate me for saying this. I don't care. It's an actual fact. You have to own up to your responsibility. You made those choices. I came to the realization when I was sick the first time, you know, my right hand is doing good. My left hand's poisoning me. Well, God and the devil didn't make me choose what I'm putting in my mouth. I did. Right. And I'm responsible. So I have to learn how to stop those behaviors and change my lifestyle and change things around me to make my lifestyle better. So I can be a good example for my wife and my children and anyone else who wants to learn from me. I have to be a good example. So I just follow that good example of trying to live to the best. Am I perfect? I will never be. That's for sure. I'm a work in progress. But as long as I keep trying my best, then the creator will help me with the rest. So I used to have this elderly gentleman come into my automotive business years ago. And, you know, he'd see my wife and I underneath a little bit of pressure. And he'd say, ladies and gentlemen, put it on the back burner. And, and I never caught on to his thing, you know, that Jamaican culture attitude. Well, you can't deal with it now. Put it on the back burner of the stove. It's warm. It's still there. Well, you'll get to it when you got the emergency done. <laughs> so I came to that conclusion that I'd put things on the back burner. I'm not forgetting about them. I know I got to deal with it, but there's a priority right now. And that's me. I got to take care of myself so I can help deal with this. That's amazing. You know, choice. Back then, because I was suffering, because I was in pain and I couldn't function I made a choice to take on that responsibility. I made a choice to say, you know what? I need help, right? Because oftentimes we don't know the choices we have, but we need someone to help us see them. And that's how I came to you. You know, I'm like, I don't know what my choices are. I'm, I know I'm making bad ones. That's why I'm here. So maybe talk about how you've helped me and helped others and even yourself make these choices, especially around our health, our bodies. Well, from you dealing with me in the past and maybe even in the future, in the present, you know, we're all working together. The thing is, I always try to encourage people by showing them basically what's going on and why. And then I never tell anyone, you know, you got to listen to me. What I always tell them, and I'm pretty sure you're aware of this. Look, don't believe a single word I'm telling you. Prove me wrong. That's one of the famous things I've been telling every client that ever came to me or any person I deal with in any situation. Look, I'm giving you advice, but I'm not going to carry your baggage with me. I am not going to carry your problems. I'm here to help you look at a perspective to help solve them. But I'm not going to make myself sick emotionally, physically or spiritually because you don't want to deal with what you got to deal with. And I show you a way of how to deal with it. And then look. I, the results is you improve because you're looking at things and you're making documentation about what's going on and examining reality in a positive manner and seeing the negative side effects that you had before going away and improving. So now you come to a better light and you start to feel better. And when you feel better physically, then you feel better emotionally because where does your brain live? It lives inside of a space in your head, but it's in your body. It's part of your body. And if your gut doesn't feel good or you're physically in pain because you're doing harm to yourself, how can you have a mental good outlook? Right? Mm -hmm. So I always look at it, no matter how gloomy the weather is, I know the sun is still shining above the clouds. Hey, that's a fact, right? So 
why should you always be thinking negatively? You can always make some improvements or do something to help yourself. And if you feel you can't help yourself, if you knock on enough doors, you're going to either have a sore knuckle or get an answer. But if you don't knock, it won't get opened. If you don't ask, you won't find. And I think we all get that perspective coming to our minds because the creator gives us, you know, some motivation in that. But a lot of people don't do anything about it. And, you know, I can remember lots of instances in my life in the past and running my businesses, which I still run on a very small scale now because I want to do other things, you know, that are important to me to help more people. And I think of this. At many instances in my life, somebody either came into the door of my business or walked into me and said, hey, I don't agree what you're saying because I'd be talking out loud to the universe, you know, just talking out loud arguing with myself because you know what I mean? I didn't have an answer and I wanted an answer. And somebody just walked in out of the blue, scared the crap out of me and said, ah, that's bullshit. Right. So, and they'd give me a perspective. And I, the next day start thinking about where did this person come from? Why? And thinking about what they told you and examining it and saying, you know, Hmm, maybe I should take a look. And so I look at it this way. When people, for example, ask me, well, I can't read the Bible. I don't understand. I said, well, first of all, stop trying to put your mindset and your ideas in God's head and go to work. Why don't you take a study Bible, look in the margin. When you read something you don't understand, take a look at the scriptures in the margin because they got a perspective of triangulation around that scripture. So now you're going to get three points of view so that you can understand what's going on. So if you don't want to understand it that way, put a bottle on the ground with a label on it. Make a triangle and look at the bottle from three different points. You see three different pictures. And if you don't believe me, take your cell phone out. You're going to take three different pictures. Well, you still can't see the whole bottle from one point. You can only see it from the three angles, putting the three pictures there to see the whole bottle. Or you pick it up in your hand, you keep turning it, right? So you have to look at life in all those perspectives, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. It's a triangle. Everything in nature and in life is in that triangle. You have a seed, which becomes a plant, which bears fruit. You have a man, a woman, and children. You have born, you live, you die. You were a child, you're a teenager, you're an adult. Everything is in the number three. So you have, you know, whether you want to accept that or not, that's just the way everything is designed. So you have to look at your life in that kind of perspective. That's, I don't know what else to say to that, but that's the way I think, you know. Yeah, and I think the triangle is the strongest shape you know, in the world, like, you know, the pyramids and, and how it points to up in all these different directions. Maybe talk about why it's so difficult for so many people to listen and learn. Like, here they are in trouble. You know, I, I've been there and I talk about this in, in the zero state, you know, when I'm able to be humble, when I'm able to be at zero, now I'm going to learn. I'm going to be able to accept something I might not have known. Why is it so difficult? And I remember you, your food diary you told me to do, and I came back, I did it. You said only like, how many people? Like four people out of how many hundreds you've helped did it? Because you see, to start with, when you tell people to do a food diary, which is hard work, because you got to be disciplined, first of all, and write things down and not at the end of the day when you're trying to remember as you're going along and for a quite a period of time, at least 30 days to get some perspective of what mistakes you're making. Well, today in society, and I think it's always been that way, people think that when you give them information about you, you're going to judge them. And I am very neutral. I just want to help. And I try to explain to people, look, when you do this, this is not about me. This is about you. Well, when it becomes about you, you hate to admit you're wrong. 
Everybody does, including myself. Ah, that's a hard subject to deal with. I am wrong. I am guilty. I made that thing. I made the problem. Oh, that's like, you know, somebody sitting on a fire of four feet high, burning their butt. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, don't let me admit that I'm wrong. Well, face the facts. You have to. You have to come owning your responsibility. You made mistakes. So now you got to accept them and change. And until you start to accept that in your life, then you really don't make change. And then you end up becoming rock bottom, right down to the point where there's very little hope and you have not much room to get out of. But when you hear anybody in societies that, you know, were addicted to drugs or whatever, and they went through hellish experiences and finally come to a conclusion, that's what the conclusion was, that if they didn't make change and accept that they were guilty, they would never change. And, you know, I've, I've heard that from all kinds of interviews and everything else. And, you know, I mean, I love listening to sometimes to some of these people who speak on YouTube or, you know, that are inspirational. And one of the guys that I can almost never remember his name is Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey, you know, he's the comedian. He's on yeah. Family Feud and stuff like that. And when you listen to him talk, you know, he stuttered till he was about 15. He could barely speak outside of his house. And, you know, a teacher berated him because he said he was going to be on TV. And I love when he tells that story because he said, you know, for 20 years before she died, he bought her a flat screen TV so she could see him on TV. Right. Because, you know, he quoted a few things out of the Bible, which I have respect for because I know they exist. God clearly tells you even Christ said the same thing. A man without a dream will perish. You don't have a vision. You ain't going to succeed. You need to have hope and inspiration about a dream. And your dreams also inspire you and teach you where you're going and what you can do. And, you know, James 4, verse 2 in the Bible, you have not because you ask not. Well, when I tell people that, well, you know, oh, yeah, that's a vision board, this and that. I said, no, no, no. put the vision board up. But you got to remember, you have to ask the creator, almighty God. I need your help. This is what I want to accomplish. You know, like Steve Harvey says, you're asking for the mortgage payment or the rent. He said, don't you always make the rent? Why don't you ask for a mortgage? You mean to say God don't have mortgage money? Come on. You know what I mean? He made everything, right? So, you know, I love that kind of a perspective. So when I hear stuff like that, I say, wow, that's real wisdom. That's wisdom. You know, Denzel Washington, when you hear him speak to what are some of the stuff on YouTube where he talks about the university students, you know, putting your slippers underneath your bed so far underneath that you got to get down on your hands and knees and pray before you can find them. I think that's amazing piece of advice. So I live these kind of things, right? And in the Bible, for example, and I understood that without before I even read the Bible, oh, that people perish because of lack of wisdom and understanding. Well, it also says in the tillage of the poor, there is great waste and lack of understanding. There's great want. So, you know, people make a garden, they pull out all the weed plants and they throw stuff away all the time while they're waiting for their food to grow, which takes an average of three to six months. What are they going to do? Suck on their thumb or they're stuck relying on somebody else. Right. But there's all kinds of natural foods and medicine we could be eating because the weeds always grow faster than my garden. So I learned to examine every little plant and understand what I can do with it, how I can use it, and why it exists, either for fertilizer or for nutrition or for a particular mineral and vitamin or digestive enzymes or as a spice or a herb. The list is endless. And so, you know, those statements in the Bible I really understand and I can appreciate them because I can show the factual evidence when I walk outside into a garden or anywhere in the universe and on the earth, anywhere, you can see this evidence. It's right in front of you. And so how can I argue with it? How can I say, well, that was not inspired by a higher level of thought than just the average human being? Because if we look today in society, we don't see that type of intelligence anywhere anymore because people are getting away from living from the land 
and understanding how important the environment is to um, getting blisters on their thumbs. So every time I see a young woman typing, I say, any blisters? I want to know. I haven't run into one yet, but boy, I'm telling you, there must be some muscle cramps somewhere. (laughs) That's amazing. So maybe we can tell our audience, you know, what you help people with and what they come to you with. Maybe there's a a really impactful story of someone coming at zero. Of course, you know mine, you know yours. And what we're dealing with, you know, now in this age, you know, the food, the mutations, the shortages and, and how everything you know, your health is dependent on the food that you eat. And yeah, so what comes to mind for you when you talk about looking at weeds and this is knowledge we, we don't know, but we should know. Well, you know, in the 15 and 1600s, when anthropologists came from Europe to study native culture in North America, and it's well documented that the anthropologists said that we were 500 years ahead in medicine above them, and that they couldn't find any sign of disease at any age of the population, whether it was young children, uh, adults, uh, seniors, there was no one that was sick or debilitated, and they understood what was around them, and they lived, they were all healthy, and their teeth proved it, and all kinds of things, and so when you look at societies around the world, what the man a few years ago wrote, it was featured on Dr. Oz about blue zones. There's also a blue zone in Northern Ontario because, you know, I've talked to medical doctors and they very, very, they see it all the time. People coming into the hospitals up there at 100, never seen a doctor in their entire life, right? You look at the uh, Pakistani Hunza Valley in Northern part of India, which was India at one time and now it's Pakistan. From the 1800s, medicals, medical doctors have been trying to have an office in that area. And still to this day, they tell them, you can open an office, but we'll, there'll be no business, none. And they all live to 120, you know, all the time. And they eat their own food. They live in this valley. They deal with all the stuff they got to deal with, just like anybody else in the world. But uh, they're healthy all the time, from the time they're born to the time they die. And so there's places all over the world like that, that have been examined. But again, people don't want to do the work because, you know, taking a hole in your hand and digging around plants and working outside in the ground, uh, people say, well, that's slave labor. Well, I think slave labor is when you're hooked up to tubes in the hospital and you can't even wipe your own ass. Now, that's slave labor. (laughs) Okay, believe me, I've been there and I'm going to tell you, I certainly really appreciate the nurses. If I ever make any kind of money, I'm going to look up every one of those nurses that helped me. And I mean it. And I'm going to make sure they get a bonus out of my pocket. (laughs) I'll tell you, I will. You know, that's something I plan to do, too. I don't know what else to say to this subject, but nutrition is key. And I had lots of arguments in the medical system while I was flat on my back and stuff like that. And doctors would say, we want to do this. I said, whose body is it? It's yours. I said, okay, you're going to do it my way. (laughs) And they, we had arguments and discussions, but boy, they learned to listen because I wasn't going to do what they wanted. There's no way I wouldn't sign to it. I wouldn't agree to it because it wasn't helping me. And I knew it, you know, I I remember you, you have to trust your gut. Mm. right this is your third brain and it's your second heart Mm. you know something i could teach every person over this channel here learning how to breathe in your belly that your belly button moves is one of the most gifts you can give yourself forever you not only circulate your blood properly you clean your body properly it helps you in every way possible So I always tell people there's three battles in life. You can only live without oxygen for approximately three minutes. You can be without water for three days and you can be without food for at least three weeks. Okay. So if you were lost in the bush, one of the first things you'd want to do is make sure the oxygen is good. Hug a lot of trees, find clean water, and then we'll look about trying to eat. Because if you don't have the priorities straight, you ain't going to exist. And so breathing, to me, is one of the greatest things you can retrain yourself 
the way you were born breathing as a baby, in your belly, not in your chest. And if you look at everything in nature, it has a large chest and a small waist, and they all breathe in their belly. And if you breathe in your belly properly, the relax and breathing that your belly muscles are working all the time when you breathe, 20,000 times that those muscles move in a 24-hour cycle, that's every human being on earth, that's equivalent to doing 500 sit-ups. And I want to see the person who can do 500 sit-ups because I can't. But my stomach muscles are as rock hard as a stone right now. And basically, it's because of breathing. Because I can't do 500 sit-ups. I probably can't do 10 right now. I used to do I used to do 500 when I was a teenager, but not now. But, you know, maybe down the road I can again. And I'm willing to try. <laughs> it's so amazing, the priorities in your life. You know, I remember I was in the hospital uh, calling you because. <laughs> I, they- I remember that day very well. And I <laughs> asked you, what did you do yesterday? And you said, oh, I know what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, remember I discussed that with you. You shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) Oh, what a work in progress to be able to listen and apply the discipline and the advice. And yeah, we talk about the medical system. I've shared this in other channels too, where they weren't sure. I I couldn't trust them. They were going to open me up and they had to make me sign a waiver to say, you're going to die. You have this. I'm like, no, you don't know. And I was calling you to say the next day I went to you and all of a sudden I'm already getting better. So, you know, you talk about being humble is the state of being that we, uh, we don't cultivate enough, like actually admitting I'm taking responsibility. I've made choices. I want to listen. I am open to learning. Well, yeah. like I said, you know, you have to, when you like what you call getting to the zero state where you basically don't have much choice and you really do want to live and everybody does, I think there's no human being that when they're close to death or dying that does not want to live. They might say they don't want to, but very few people will say, you know, well, just take me right now. Well, you know, I laid in the hospital bed as a vegetable. Basically, I couldn't even lift up this cell phone. I mean, I couldn't do any. I couldn't type nothing. I said, well, God, you know, I've had a pretty good life. If it's time to go, hey, I'm ready, you know, because I don't want to live like this. And so here I am physically becoming almost fit again as I used to be. And last time they looked at my heart, electrocardiogram and ultrasound, the nurse asked me what I was eating, you know, and she actually told me I wasn't vaccinated from looking at my heart because I didn't tell her. So she knew my heart was really doing well. And she was impressed when I told her I basically could grow and eat my own food. She said, very good job. So the medical system don't even want to look at my heart till this coming year in August again. So do I know everything? No. Am I learning every day? Yes. Am I applying my knowledge to myself as much as possible? Yes. I'm still stubborn and make mistakes, but I don't want to go back through what I did in the past. No, never again. That's not going to happen. And, um, you know, I just keep doing my best to educate people, whatever I can around me and teach them from my perspective, what I went through and what I see they're going through, how they can make changes. And Vincent, you can tell, you know, anyone, the changes I try to make people make are not that difficult. They're actually very simple. Can you talk about how you went from that hospital bed, you know, just couldn't even wipe your own ass, right? That state to I came home make- Christmas Eve 2020, barely pushing a walker and I, I had trouble to stand up. Okay. And one of the first things when I got to be able to actually walk downstairs and I did it uh, hanging onto the railing down in the basement without the walker going from one wall to the next to my freezer and I took out some organic wild meat and basically was lifting the five pound package one inch at a time up the stairs and got it, you know, cleaned up, put in the pot and cooked and all that stuff. And my wife wanted to kill me because she didn't want me going downstairs when she wasn't uh, at work. And, um, you know, and one day I decided, you know, 
I'm going in the shower. And I went downstairs and showered and came back up the stairs. And that was really difficult, I'll tell you. And then a few days later, I got kind of brave and thought, hmm, you know, I'm walking, you know, an inch at a time type thing. And I'm pretty weak. But, you know, do I really need to hang on to this walker? So I put it aside and I hooked one of my toes on the edge of the carpet. And I hit the floor so hard that I basically almost knocked myself out. And I was laying on the floor thinking, I don't have the strength to get up. But I'm such a determined person that I can never quit. I slid sideways on the floor to the stairs, grabbed the railing, sat myself up, and I gave myself a rest. And then with all the strength I had in my arms that I could even hang on to, I stood myself up and then lifted one leg at a time, got to the walker, went to the Chesterfield, sat down and said, I'm not moving for a little while. I need a rest now. (laughs) You know, so, you know, I think it's that stubbornness because I remember when I first walked into the hospital in 2020 and the doctor asked the nurses, how did you get here? And they said he walked in. And so when the doctor looked at me after he talked to me and looked at me, he said, um, Why'd you wait so long? I said, doctor, I don't like doctors. <laughs> I told him flat out. Now I'm relying on him to help me, but I told him flat out, I don't like him. You know, so he, he said, well, you know, you got a bad heart foul. So I said, well, okay. You know, he said, well, we got to put you on these medications. So after a couple of weeks, I broke out so bad on, from reactions to the medication, I had to quit them. I mean, they were killing me. And um, so... I left the, the situation, came back home, and then I got even worse, so I had to go back into the hospital again. And so this man fought for me to get this guy in Sunnybrook, an expert on heart operations, to actually fix my heart valve. And I asked him later on, I said, why did you fight for me so much? He said, stubborn people usually have great outcomes. Wow. Right? So I deal with sometimes when people are really stubborn. They like to bang their head against the wall. I can understand that perspective very well because I'm like that. You know, it's hard. It was hard for me to change myself. Right. So, but eventually I had no choice. I had to learn that's not good for me. Right. I got to change. You're just touching on how powerful our minds are. You know, that stubborn, that, that determination, that focus, that discipline and, and how our minds and our bodies combined can lead us to what I call the infinite state, right? The state of you're never going to give up. So you're going to achieve the impossible. And that stubbornness, that determination is what you had. It's what I had, right? To get us, to, I'm not quitting. And it can be possible if I don't quit. And Well, you so, know, when you yeah. read about people like um, the man who invented the light bulb, Edison. Edison, yeah. Well, you know, he went bankrupt in his life twice. He experimented on 1,000 products before he discovered tungsten would not burn out and make the light bulb work. And he never gave up. You know, imagine going bankrupt, losing everything you own twice, and then starting his businesses over again and growing them so that he had enough money to experiment and finally coming up with the answer. You know, like, wow, you say the determination, unbelievable, right? Imagine if he would have not went through that situation. Well, we still would, we wouldn't have LED lights today. We wouldn't have any lighting situation. It took somebody with that fortitude, never giving up, never quitting to find the answer. So lots of times, you know, when I think about, when I figure out certain things in the environment with plants and medicines and different things, I think about my ancestors, you know, how many people tried something and died before they figured out the answer? I mean, I must have, there must have been some people that experimented and got sick or by eating the wrong things and didn't figure it out, right? Like I'm drinking not water right now. I'm drinking maple water fresh from the maple trees because my farm, you know, I got a couple of trees and they're really producing a lot of maple water. I'm getting a couple of gallons a day and I'm drinking as much as I can because I know that's better than maple syrup because the maple water is so high in phosphorus, magnesium, and potassium. It's really good for regulating your body. It really helps your digestion. 
doesn't create any diabetic problems. It's just good to help you sleep. It's a healing water. And it's the purest form of water you can get because the trees filter it and give you all the minerals and vitamins in it that you really need. And so in our culture, you know, Aboriginal culture before, as they were making maple syrup, people drank tons of maple water, you know, every year. So, and it's starting to catch on a little bit. Some people are doing it now, but um, I tell you, when I give people a glass of this and they drink it, they say, wow. I said, well, it's free. You got a maple tree, put a tap in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so easy. But again, it's just to get the guy off the couch to go to the hardware store, find the parts he wants, get a pail, fix up a proper container and do it. And all of that would maybe take an hour and a half. And then you've got something to drink every day for a couple of months. It's not complicated or hard, but motivation the inspiration to get it done. So, you know, in a book I wrote, Five Weeds, Five Trees, Five Tools, A Way to Self-Sufficiency and Good Health, I talk about the seven laws of success. And you have to have a goal. Well, we must educate ourselves in that goal. We must have drive, perseverance, resourcefulness, proper day of rest and good health. There are seven laws. It's a balance. And you notice good health is not that you're born healthy. Good health means you take care of yourself. Proper day of rest is to be able to reflect from your workload and be more spiritual and relaxed and communication with friends and sitting down and examining and have a perspective and be able to spend with your family. You know, all that stuff is important at least one day. Right. But most people just don't do that. They don't follow the examples right, mm-hmm. of it. We get so accustomed to what's easy, you know, getting that fast food burger or the chips or even, you know, drinking water that's, you know, so much chemicals in it. And so, yeah, I think this is such valuable information. It's like knowledge is there, but it's not taught. It's not accessible. We're taught other things that are supposedly helpful, but they're actually detrimental. I want to switch gears now. And, and part of my, the journey of, of this podcast, you know, from zero to infinity is that we come to a state of mastery, right? It's about mastering yourself, mastering your health. And I know you're a master of many things, you know, with that determination, maybe talk about what you're a master in, you know, the automotive you, you've taken, you studied with this Chinese, you know, the top masters in Qigong and, and you're master of your garden, your herbs. You talk about that and that process for you, becoming that master. Well, I don't consider myself a master of anything. I'm a student of life. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, in order for you to become good at something, you must have that goal. You must have education in there and you have to have discipline and drive. All of those things I talk about, these seven laws of success, that builds you as to being a master. And then you want to be humble in looking to others that are doing better than you. So being a student and going and sitting down and, you know, to be good at something you got to be willing to do it for nothing. You know, you got to love it so good, so much that you would do it absolutely for free. And I've told every apprentice I've ever had, any student or person coming to me for advice or young person, I say, listen, first of all, what do you love? What do you love or passionate about so much that you would just do this for nothing? Then that's what you should do with your life. because. If you're doing stuff just for money, you're not going to be happy. You might make millions of dollars, but you're not happy. You're depressed, sad, unhappy. You're in a job that it's work. But if you do what you love, you go to work every day. It's not work. You're going to play. You're having fun, right? You might be physically working hard and struggling, mental stress and everything else, but you still, you're enjoying what you do. 
Now you start to do it better than anyone else around you. And people notice. A prime example is when I sold my industrial unit and I decided I was going to buy this farm. Now, I've been growing food since I was a little kid of five years old, hunting, fishing, trapping. I mean, I was skinning deer on the kitchen table. My father would wake us up in bed. I was 10 years old. See, there's a deer on the kitchen table, put it in the freezer. We had to take it all apart and clean the meat and everything else and put it in the freezer. And, you know, we had to learn. We learned on our own trial and error. And then, you know, my father would correct us once in a while about certain little things. But you don't learn by watching and not doing. You learn by getting your hands dirty. Okay. And if there's a disaster, I'm going to survive for sure. I know it. God willing, for sure. I'm going to be there. But you still have to understand that if you're not applying yourself, you're not becoming what you should be. And it starts with having a plan, having a goal, having a vision board, having things that, you know, inspire you around you. And then being a humble student that you have to go to somebody else and either spend your money or time with them and pay to learn from them. And then taking what knowledge you got from them and with your own research and then applying it, applying it and then doing. You know, I remember telling people when I was an apprentice, I was going to have my own business and the salesman and the owners of the company laughed at me. Yeah, well, five years later when I had my own business, and a three automotive licenses, that salesman drove across this city from one end to the other, I think, in record time. He must have flew by a jet because he was there right there to sell me $10,000 worth of equipment on credit. You know, he didn't care. He was making a sale, right? And I reminded him that five years earlier, he laughed at me when he was selling me the equipment, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't know. I will never beray or demolish someone for an inspiration. I will try to inspire them to do better for themselves, to use that goal or that intention or that idea or that dream to make their life better. And I, because I have that attitude, but I learned that over time. And so, you know, I'm not only a licensed automotive mechanic with all kinds of diplomas attached to it. I have truck and coach heavy duty mechanics license. I have an automotive machinist license, which you can't obtain in Canada anymore, but because they don't have a program for it unless you would apprentice with someone like myself, then we could probably get it done. And then I also have a general machinist license. And I remember in high school, the shop teacher for all the shops, uh, Mr. Yupi, uh, cried when I didn't want to become an electrician. And sometimes I regret not taking his advice because my investment in tools would have been a little pouch <laughs> compared to a million dollars worth of equipment that I had to spend to make you know, peanuts compared, but I wanted to be a machinist. I love making things. And so that's what I got involved doing. And I think because of mechanical skills and having to make stuff all the time and learning how to and what not to do and figuring out things when nobody else can figure out problems, it gives you a skill and a perspective. It humbles you. It makes you, you know, respect. The simplest thing can go wrong. So. I also think, you know, because of helping my father when I was growing up, my brother and I, when he was building a house or doing, and he wasn't a carpenter, but he was just a natural born builder. He was so good at it. And, you know, us being forced to work and help him, we learned physical mechanical skills. And those skills, I think, are being lack of being taught today in our school system all around the world. Now in Ontario and certain parts of this country, some of the schools are starting to make these programs where they're teaching people finances and running a business and all that stuff in school, how to build stuff. I just saw one on TV this morning. They were talking about, you know, from the ground up, they're building a thing and they put a group together. They got to think out a plan and all that stuff. Well, you see, I think that's very important that people are getting these things because if we shut the electricity off, eventually the internet fails. And me and you couldn't be doing a Zoom call right now. And the physical skills are going to be the ones that are going to really count down the road. Actually knowing how to plant seeds, how to dry them, how to put them away, how to use a hammer and nail, how to 
uh, generate some a little bit of power with some solar panels and a few batteries to charge your cordless tools. And I've been living that way for the last 11 years at my farm. Basically, I took this farm from zero in the ground below zero and rebuilt the buildings from scratch. And I know you haven't seen it yet, but if you come by and see what I'm doing one of these days, which I know you will, people that have seen it when I bought it and come four or five years later, uh, walking around with like their tongue hanging out saying, you did all this? I said, yeah, I had some help though. Almighty God gave me the strength and the wisdom to figure it out. I always respect my creator and what I've been provided all the time. I do. And I think that's another perspective that you have to have, right? To master anything, you have to have this perspective. Otherwise, you won't get there. Oh. Thank you for sharing that. And I know as we're starting to wind down, let's talk about, you know, how you help people. And I think this, this other mastery, you, where you went from being sick for two years, you were determined. And so you created how you're now helping so many people, including myself. Maybe talk a little bit about that and, and what you help people do. What did you study and what was that like? And then share some of that. Well, when I got sick in my late thirties, before I was really, really well, it was probably, I was about 41, took about three years. And I was just researching and investigating the whole time. And for almost 10 years at Highway 7 and Western Road, the chapter's bookstore, every night of the week, I was there. I'd leave my business at seven o'clock and I would go there and the store closed at 10. And then the cafe was open past that. But the women at the counter on the PA would announce my name, say, Gary, we're closing in five minutes because they saw me every night of the week for almost 10 years. I am not kidding. you. And I didn't go there on the weekends, but the rest of the time I was there and I studied. I, I couldn't afford to buy books. So chapters off you could read. You know, what? So I would stand up in the hallways looking through nutrition books and this book and that thing and every kind of book you could imagine. And sometimes I found something that was very impressed that had four or five good points of view inside of it that I really resonated with by that book. But I spent a lot of money at yard sales that people bought expensive books that I looked at in chapters, couldn't afford to buy or whatever. And I bought them for 25 cents. I said, I'm buying that. That information would be good to stockpile. And so, you know, I remember when I was... uh, I guess I was 18 years old, maybe even younger, 17 going on 18. I didn't even have a job. And a salesman convinced me to buy a set of Encyclopedia Britannica with the Bible and two types of encyclopedias and Webster unabridged dictionaries, those three big volumes of them and the how and why books and everything. And it was $2,200. So I imagine I had no money, no job. I was in Northern Ontario and that was going to cost me some, you know, I don't know, $20 a week. I didn't even have a job or something like that. And, um, but I bought them. I signed the contract and my parents wanted to kill me. Honestly, my father and my mother gave me a, a good scolding match. Boy said, what the hell? You know, you don't need that. And so they sat underneath my bed in my bedroom at my parents' house Oh my God. Till I got married, I didn't move there. When I got married and we bought this house I'm in, I brought them from up there and I put them in my wall cabinet in the corner. And then I didn't even open them. I can show you even today some of the books because in those days they were made with gold on the outside, real pure 24 karat gold. And I can show you books that you can, you'll be the first one to crack them open because I haven't looked at all of them. But when I was sick and unhealthy and I exhausted the libraries and I exhausted everywhere else, you see, I think, you know, in your life, the almighty God puts things in your perspective, in your way for your help, because he knows what's going to happen before you do. And so there was a purpose in me buying those books, because now you could go on Google and YouTube, but you can not find some of the information that's in these books. And that's a fact. So. When I was looking to find out, for example, a simple word in the, in the Bible, 
In Ezekiel 4, there's six ingredients of making bread, wheat, barley, millet, beans, lentils, and fitches. But I didn't know what fitches were. And when I was in nutrition school, I was asking all the professors. I went to biologists. I went to gardeners. I went to all these things and went to different centers around Toronto, all over the place, horticulturalists. Nobody could tell me what fitches were. So I went to my encyclopedias. And when I flipped open the dictionary under fitches, it pointed back to the Bible. Isaiah 21, verse 21 to 27. And when you read that in Isaiah, because Isaiah, the book, that book in the Bible is a gardening book. It's about gardening, planting. And Christ even quoted about it that Isaiah talked about you, right? And he says, you know, when you plant your wheat, rye, and barley, don't you plant it among the fitches? Well, I said, well, you know, the weeds are always there. And he goes on to talk that the horse cart and the oxen foot and the grinding stone doesn't destroy these seeds. They're always there. Well, when I started to examine what fitches were, types of vetch, types of mustard, types of all kinds of little fine seeds, these seeds have minerals and enzymes that help you digest the other grains. That's why they're important to add to bread. So when you buy Ezekiel bread from the store, it don't have that in there. It doesn't have these combinations. But I also examined, well, how could a man lay on a manure pile and not have bed sores for two and a half years and a year and a half on the other side? Wow, you know, and he gets up and just walks away. Well, I laid in bed for three months and my bones were coming out of me. You know what I mean? So, wow, what was in the bread? That's what made me really give a a deep search and dive right into it and examine all the ingredients and why it was so important to have this combination. Then after 10 years of study on my own, I went to a nutrition school because so many people, so many people were asking me, you know, at my automotive business. So, you know, I got this problem. What do you think? Because I started getting reputation people would come in, I'd fix their car and I'd say, why are you limping? Try this. You know, do this, do that. Oh, you got a digestive problem? Try eating these and stay away from that. So I figured after a while, and people kept asking me what I was doing, if I was jogging 10 miles a day or something, I said, no, I'm just eating and breathing. I barely exercise. How can you have this? So I just kept looking and looking and researching. And, you know, I applied to myself. And then I wanted to study Kung Fu most of my life, even though I had studied some Wing Chun with my hands. I was taught by a really good teacher. And he actually, this guy who actually had, was the seventh best fighter in the world. He actually fought against Bruce Lee and studied with Bruce Lee. So I got taught by him as a teenager. And so I could really defend myself, but I wanted more. And so, you know, while I was in nutrition school, I uh, was looking around I wanted a real master. And I remember going downtown Toronto to the Chinese New Year Festival down there when it was at the big uh, building downtown. And I was in an automotive show next door. And I went out and told my employees that were helping me I'd be gone for an hour. And five hours I came later, came back because I spent five hours in there. And I was fortunate. Again, I walked out. The lineup was so long, I thought I'd never get in there. And some guy just grabbed me by the shoulders and said, pay here. I went in in front of thousands of people. I went in first. I don't know. Wow. Almighty God put me in there because I don't know how I would have got in there otherwise. And I walked around on the show and there was no practicing of Kung Fu, Tai Chi, nothing. And I saw this elderly woman sitting at a table selling some stuff. And I, I talked to her and I said, I don't understand your culture is not showing and promoting Tai Chi or Kung Fu and I have some masters here doing demonstrations, stuff like that. And she said, well, do you study? And I said, well, I don't know how good I am. So I did a little demonstration. She said, you're better than I am. I said, but I want to study with a real master that grew up in it. So she dug through her satchel of a purse and came up with his business card, half in English, half in Chinese. And I waited a few months. It was stopped by my phone. And one day I just called and he answered the phone speaking in Mandarin and, and I can't communicate. So I was saying, well, I don't understand. And Finally, this woman grabbed the phone and said, why are you, how'd you get this number? How are you calling? I said, I'm looking for this master. And I was told to call his number and I want to study. And she said, well, he's not teaching any Kung Fu, but he's teaching Qi Kung and you can come. And I did a class and it resonated with me right away. And then he started teaching me 
one-on-one. I was one of his students for 20 years. His family in China made me be a pallbearer as an honor to him and an honor to me. To He's buried in Richmond Hill. So I studied with him for 20 years. And um, even after four or five years, he wanted me to have my own school and promote me and all that stuff. But I felt I wasn't ready till, you know, I felt I was ready to really teach that. And then once I came out of school from nutrition, I still didn't practice nutrition right away. I was interested in blood analysis because of some things that happened to me. And what I saw written in the Bible, keeping your blood clean, keeping your blood pure. And I learned that I couldn't blame God or the devil. It was me feeding my face. So I had to learn how to respect that. And I went and did the courses. And then I, even then I didn't practice for a while, even though I had my own microscope. And then a medical researcher slash doctor nutritionist came from Red Deer, Alberta that did dry blood. And I was invited to this clinic in a medical doctor's office. And when I saw what he was doing, which I had learned about, but wasn't expanded upon, I saw what he was doing. And I asked a couple of questions, whether the person was in prone position or the other position when you were looking at the blood. And when he explained to me what I was right away, there was a light went off my head. And I figured that out about the dry blood right away. And I never looked back. And then I started developing the food diary with my own system because I realized that one of the parts that was missing from everybody else teaching was the sleeping aspect that nobody talked about. And I made it simple that people could really do it and see that we could cut the paperwork apart and look at what the root cause was, what the food that was poisoning you or what the problem was, the combination or what you were doing, or it was a chemical sensitivity. And um, from there, it just, you know, kept growing. And the more I looked at blood, you know, and asking questions of clientele in reverse order, sometimes kind of tricking them with certain things, you know, asking them a question in a reverse order that's simple and they'd answer me where they lied to me in the beginning, they would answer me differently in this question without thinking about it. And I knew the answer from looking at the blood, but I just wanted the proof, right? From coming out of their own mouth. And so things like that, I developed over time. And then, you know, I never advertised this. I really don't even talk about it on the internet. You're the first person I really even talk about it with because it's just been word of mouth. And I'm always really busy. And I do little talks here and there, different places, you know, the people hire me to come and speak to their group, or sometimes I do it for nothing, depending on the group, how nice they are. And um, I try to inspire people. And from those talks, I always get clientele. I never, I never get turned away. Uh, You know, same thing at my farm, I started making groups to teach people there. And I advertise that a little bit that people come and learn from me. And I found that when I did it almost for nothing was no good. Now I charge money because I don't want to waste my time. I get better clientele and people really spread the the teachings because they're spending some money out of their pocket. So they're coming there willing to learn, not just to have a free lunch. You know what I mean? Mm. So. Wow. That is so amazing. And I was, I'm truly honored and grateful that I was able to benefit and have my life, you know, be able to live again. So that mastery, you know, finding a master and just being so relentless and hungry to get more knowledge, you know, books, I have the same amount of books too. And so I want to thank you, Gary, you've really, you know, shared so much. This is knowledge that if we all live by, you know, we'll, we'll live happy, we live free, we live you know, as long as we think we're supposed to live. So yeah, it's, is there a way that people can get to know you? I think at your website and get to know your book and probably I know you can help countless, countless more people. They want to get in touch with me. It's uh, Gary Tebow at dot CA. You know, that's my webpage and it's very simple. It's not complicated. You know, they can send me uh, some information there or my email address is Gary at Gary And my name has got two R's in it. And my last name is Tebow T I B B O. And if they go to my Facebook page, find me on Facebook, they'll find me. They can see comments about there's videos all over YouTube that most of them I have not installed. I don't even know how to access my own YouTube channel, which I'm going to start doing because I want to put more 
live feed videos up there, stuff that I want to show, teach people to help you know, expand their knowledge. I will be being interviewed in her classroom, Lillian McDermott, her show out of Florida, which is a worldwide show. And I'll be teaching out of there, but you'll have to spend some money on there. If you register early, it's $250 for 12 lessons. If you come on late, it's $300. But each lesson, there'll be 12 hours of teaching. So you work it out. That's, you know, I don't know, what, $25 an hour. You can't even hire me for that cheap because I won't work for that anymore because I'm too busy doing projects that I've got to do, big projects that will help a lot of people as well. And uh, I'm a simple person. I am not that complex. I like things to be very simple. I try to follow the rules of life, like uh, the KISS theory, keep it simple, Simon. And the <laughs> army says stupid, but I agree with that too. Uh, so, you know, more simple you keep things, the better you can help people and help them understand how they can really make great changes in their life without doing very much. And, you know, it's like a baby doesn't learn how to run coming out of the baby mother's womb. It crawls. It basically stands and then it toddles walking a little bit. And then all of a sudden it gets its feet about it and starts to run, but it's a process. And so, you know, that process can be applied to everything you have in life. Oh, that's so beautiful. Uh, again, thank you, Gary. A lot of people are going to benefit from your teachings. And I know this is just the first of our, of our projects and collaboration. Uh, we're, and I'll help you with those YouTubes and get your word out. All right. No <laughs> so, problem. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to add or share before we, we close today? Well, Vincent, you see, you're a great example of respecting truth and applying knowledge to yourself. I know that you've been into a few professions yourself before you come to doing this and you understand the principles of success to apply knowledge and wisdom and studying and researching and it hasn't come easy. So my life has not been easy, but you know, I always look at it in a positive manner. It could always be worse and there's people suffering with worse than me. And if I can help them, I'll be glad to help them. You know, I'm always, you know, trying to help people in every way I can possibly do it. And I don't think I will ever change my perspective. My wife used to tell me all the time in business, I was too nice. But you know what, something I look at my face in the mirror and I don't have to worry that there's somebody looking over my shoulder at all because I know who I am. I know where I come from. I know what I stand for. And um, God is great and he's blessed me very well. He certainly has. And so grateful for your presence, your life and sharing. And thank you again for this opportunity. I'm truly an honor just to share in this space with you. And we'll, we'll keep on applying the knowledge. We'll keep on helping others. You know, it's our mission to do that. And once we step into it, it gives us so much fulfillment. So, Gary, thank you so, so much. You're very, very welcome. And I look forward to the next time. Absolutely. So everyone, you can reach Gary at G-A-R-R-Y-T-I-B-B-O dot C-A and wealth of knowledge and, and you know, life-saving knowledge. So until next time, we'll see you very soon. You've begun this incredible journey to infinite mastery. To reach infinity, you must first get to zero. Be open to learn so that you can become a master in whatever you desire. Infinity is possible when you master and leverage time to your advantage. Subscribe to the Zero to Infinity podcast with maestro Vincent Chang to gain ultimate control and realize higher potential. Visit my website at vincentchang.ca and healthesource.com to learn more about creating success and balance in your life so you can master anything. Anything.